0: Amen. Amen. Good to see all of you tonight. Good to be back with you. I'm so excited. New series is coming. And so tonight we're going to be in the book of Philemon. Philemon is only one chapter, so it's a little hard to find. So uh, go to the New Testament, find the book of Hebrews, and go left. It's right before the book of Hebrews. Hebrews. Speaking of little books, there are five one chapter books in the Bible. There's only one in the Old Testament, the book of Obadiah. But there are four one chapter books in the New Testament Philemon, 2nd and 3rd John, and Jude. And so, to sort of share with you where we're going to be going the next couple of weeks, we're going to dive into these small books and try to get a handle on them. One of the, the things that God wants his people to do is to become thoroughly acquainted with his word. And so it's great to start out with little books because it allows us to sort of wrap our arms around them better than bigger books. So the next two weeks on Tuesdays, we're going to be looking at Philemon. Then after that, we're going to spend two weeks in Second John. And then after that, two weeks in Third John. Starting this Sunday, August the 5th, we're going to start a five-week series on Sunday morning in the one-chapter book of Jude, one of my favorite books in the entire Bible, and I'm so excited to spend five weeks in one chapter, the book of Jude. So anyway, that's where we're going to be going on Sundays and Tuesdays over the next couple of weeks leading into fall, and so we pick it up with Philemon. Now, if Philemon is one of the books in the Bible that is one chapter, Philemon also sort of is part of this grouping of books. There are six books, only in the New Testament, that are personal letters, written by Paul to a person, an individual. They are First and 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and Second and Third John. They are the six books or six letters that are personal in nature, just in a sense, one-on-one. And I want to stop there for a minute, because I want to encourage you tonight. Most of, I think, the best ministry, the most effective ministry that we do is one-on-one. So often, you know, we we may be focused on big groups, And not that God doesn't work in groups of people. But much effective ministry can only take place and does take place on that one-on-one level. I'm sure that was true in your life like it's been in my life. There was a person, an individual who shared with me at one time the gospel. There was individuals, different individuals that God would send into my life at different times to encourage me and help me to spiritually grow. And God wants us to be that for others. And so the reason I want to stop there for a moment is, please don't discount those one-on-one opportunities that God gives you. They're huge. We're seeing a one-on-one opportunity here between Paul and Philemon. You know the impact that one individual at different times has had on your life. So you need to turn that around and realize that, that there's individuals out there that God is going to use you to impact their life one-on-one. The next thing about this letter, in fact, we see it there in the very first verse, is that this is one of Paul's prison epistles. There were four, four letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament that he wrote from prison. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and the book of Philemon. And so, this sort of sets Philemon into some kind of context. It's one of the books in the Bible that's only one chapter. It's one of the books in the New Testament or in the Bible that is a personal letter, one-on-one between someone and someone else, just individually. It is also one of Paul's prison epistles. And then to set it a little bit more into context, and we're going to get into this in the next couple of weeks... He's writing this, Paul, to a man by the name of Philemon, who was a very wealthy man in the city of Colossae. Because of his wealth, he had quite an estate to manage, and therefore he had many household servants or slaves. At some point in the past, one of those servants or slaves, named Onesimus, not only ran away, but obviously stole and took some property of Philemon's that wasn't his, and he took off and ran away. Now, in the providence of God, as as Onesimus is running away from Philemon, he evidently comes across Paul in Rome before Paul was imprisoned. And it was through that one-on-one encounter that Onesimus had with Paul that Paul was able to share the gospel with Onesimus, and Onesimus, this runaway slave, becomes a Christian. And so Paul now, knowing Philemon as well as he does, is writing this letter to personally ask Philemon a couple things. One, Philemon Would you forgive Onesimus for what he's done? Will you give Onesimus a second chance? And, in fact, will you allow Onesimus to come back? But this time, not to come back as a slave or a servant, but to give him his freedom and to begin to treat him as a brother in Christ. Now, there's a lot more to the book than that, but that is primarily the summary of the background of this letter. And there's so much, folks, in this one chapter that we're not, even in two weeks, going to be able to dive into all of it. But I'd like to share some highlights with you tonight. First of all, notice this letter, verse 1, is from Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Notice that Paul, from his perspective, he's not sitting there in Rome going, I'm a prisoner of Rome. As a Christian, he sees that God is sovereign, that He is providential, and that whatever he's going through has come through, in a sense, the loving hands of His Heavenly Father. And he's in prison for a higher purpose. And that he's not looking at the fact that somehow he's there because of Rome, he's in prison because that's where God wants him. He's a captive of Jesus Christ, not of Rome. And it reminds us that when you and I as Christians allow ourselves to, in a sense, be captured by Christ, nothing else can really capture us. I'm going to repeat that. When you and I truly allow ourselves to be captured, to be captivated, to be be overwhelmed, if, if you will, by Jesus Christ, nothing else can capture us. And so, he is a captive of Jesus Christ. Notice also, he is with Timothy, our brother. And, and the word brother carries the idea of being united affectionately. Paul always saw the Christian life and ministry as being part of a team and working with others. Paul and Timothy, even though there was an age difference, they, they formed a bond in ministering together. And Paul was not out there trying to serve the Lord and live for the Lord and minister on his own. And he is a great model for us that we need Paul and Timothy's in our lives. We cannot, should not do the Christian life on our own. In fact, very interestingly, I don't know whether this was planned or not, but in the first two verses, there are five people mentioned. In the last couple verses, in the conclusion of this letter, verses 23, 24, and 25, there are five people mentioned. And and Paul is all about reminding us of the teamwork and the companionship, if you will, that is involved in living for the Lord. Are we living for Christ with partners, with companions, with other people in our lives? Are we out there trying to do it On our own. And then he says that this letter obviously is to Philemon. Very interestingly, Philemon's name means one who kisses. And and the origin of that means that that it's someone who shows signs of love, is what his name means. And certainly we're going to see that Philemon certainly lived up to that kind of a name. Notice Paul also calls him our dear friend, which means beloved, esteemed. And he also describes Philemon as a co-laborer, a companion in work. We are reminded here by the language that Paul is using that serving the Lord and living for the Lord is work. It's hard work. And are there those in our lives that are willing to sort of dive in and work alongside of us? Are we willing to, in a sense, work and labor for the Lord? Very interestingly, this word means to toil, even to the point of exhaustion. And Paul said, That's Philemon. In fact, I know I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but one of the reasons why Paul knew that he could write this letter appealing to Philemon to do what he was asking him to do was because he already knew his character. He already knew what kind of person, what kind of Christian Philemon was. He was a quality God who also had a quality wife. Verse 2, we're introduced to Philemon's wife, Aphia, whose name means fruitful. And Paul describes her as our sister. This word means to be connected, to be tied together. And again, in this language, we can see how important Paul's brothers and sisters in Christ were to him. He truly cherished and loved and appreciated his brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ. He truly saw the value of God giving into his life a family. Remember, when Paul was persecuting the church, Saul, before he became converted to Christ, I'm sure he had lots of friends and people along his side, but when he converted to Christianity... I'm sure a lot of those people that at one time were friends and maybe even family members pulled away. And so I think Paul, even maybe more than others, really appreciated being able to be part of a family again. Knowing that he had brothers and sisters in Christ. And you always see this through Paul's letter, how much he appreciated his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to appreciate each other. In fact, it's good for all of us to step away every once in a while, like we did, and renew our appreciation for you guys. And know that, like I said, Sundays and Tuesdays away from here just wasn't the same. It's good that we have that kind of relationship, it's the kind of relationship that we see in the New Testament. And then Paul addresses Archippus. I believe Archippus was their son. And he is described by Paul as a fellow soldier. This is a champion in conflict for the cause of Christ. And again, by using this language, Paul is not only reminding us that living for the Lord and serving the Lord at times is work and hard work and we need to be willing to work, but it also is a battle and it is a conflict and we need to be willing to engage in that conflict and be a soldier. And he says, Archippus was a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And then he mentions the fact that they have opened up their home to one of the churches that met in Colossae, that met in their home. Up until 200 AD or thereabouts, most churches met in homes. And in the New Testament, the word church is used 114 times. If you'd like to count those, go ahead. Out of the 114 times that church is mentioned in the New Testament, 100 of those 114, it refers to the local church. And so we are reminded about the emphasis that God places on being part of a local church. This was a local church at that time in history that met in the city of Colossae in the home of Philemon, and Aphia, and Archippus. And they were united together. And so Paul here, just by way of introduction, is sharing these thoughts with us. And then he writes, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's remember again that grace is God's supernatural enablement and influence, and that peace is the inner tranquility, wholeness, and contentment that only can come from God. In fact, the reason why Paul always groups grace and peace together is because one cannot experience the peace of God until one has truly opened up their life to the grace of God. When we are open and receiving God's grace, we will begin to experience His peace. And so Paul is saying, don't forget that these things are continually flowing to us from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. First of all, notice that Paul is modeling for us that he lives a thankful Christian life. Grateful. Appreciating the things that God has given to him. And in this context, specifically, He is sharing with us how thankful he is for the people that God has placed in his life, even more specifically, Philemon. And he says, every time that I remember you, every time that God brings me to your mind, Philemon, I remember you, Aphia, and Archippus in my prayers. One of the greatest ministries that we have as Christians, one of the greatest opportunities, one of the greatest privileges we have is to intercede and pray on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Christ. To bring them before the throne of God and to thank God for them and to pray for them. And so we see that here as well. And notice... He also more specifically says, and here's why I'm so thankful for you, because I hear of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. First of all, the word hear means out of interest. In other words, Paul's reminding us, we're more willing to hear if we're interested in something. That's pretty convicting for some of us, right? Because... Sometimes the reason we're not hearing is because we're really not interested. So what Paul's saying is, I'm very interested in how other Christians are doing. I'm very interested in their welfare. So anytime I hear about other Christians, especially while I'm in prison and can't necessarily be with them, man... My ears perk up and I'm very interested in hearing about them. And Paul said, while I was even in Rome, far away from Colossae, and while I was in prison, I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. The word faith means trust, confidence, belief in God. And notice that it is out of that foundation and only that foundation that any other thing flows, including love for all the saints, which is why these are coupled together. I will never truly love my brothers and sisters in Christ if the foundation of my life isn't really trusting and believing and having confidence in God. It is out of that foundation that everything else flows, including love for all the saints. But when I trust God, I believe in Him, I have confidence in Him, I'm looking to Him. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When I'm looking to Him to fulfill what only He can do, then I'm willing and able and ready to pour out my life in love for others. Because I'm not looking to other people, including my brothers and sisters in Christ, to minister in a way to me and on a level with me that only God can And that was true of Philemon. He and his family loved the saints of God. Therefore, in verse 6, he says, I pray that the faith you share with us may deepen your understanding of every blessing that belongs to you in Christ. couple things. Notice, as he continues to talk to Philemon about what he's specifically praying for him for, it's all about spiritual growth and maturity. We as Christians need to pray for each other, and we need to get beyond just praying for the physical needs of one another. We need to pray for each other's spiritual growth and maturity. It's always what Paul prayed for. Not that he didn't pray for other things, but that was a priority for Paul. And notice he's saying, Philemon, I want you to deepen your understanding of every blessing. Literally in the Greek, it means an expression of God's goodness towards you. That belongs to you. That is your possession in Christ. In other words, I think Paul's talking about all the, all the resources, all, all the byproducts, if you will, of being a Christian. Last Tuesday night, Brian talked about God's benefit package, Psalm 103. That's what Paul's talking about. I want you to know more thoroughly, more accurately, what belongs to you as a follower of Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 7, I've had great joy and encouragement because of your love. Paul here is stating something really cool. That you and I, by the way we live for Christ, can bring joy and encouragement to other Christians. Or vice versa. Other Christians, by the way they're living, can bring you joy and encouragement in your life. By the way, the word encouragement here means to be refreshed and strengthened. Keep that in mind because that's not the last time Paul's going to use those words. Are you around other Christians who refresh you and strengthen you? Or are the associations and people that you hang around with, even who name the name of Christ, draining you dry? Sucking the life out of you. Now listen, I'm not saying that those people don't need a friend. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be ministered to. But we have to use a lot of wisdom in who we really allow access into our lives. And Paul saw Philemon as a very resourceful, encouraging person that certainly encouraged Paul. And notice he even goes on to say, "...for the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother." I personally think that's one of the greatest testimonies any Christian could have. In fact, if I had to pick a verse or a part of a verse that would describe what I believe the oasis should be and what I, why I believe God called me to start this church and, and what our focus is on, Could we find something better than that? Because it certainly goes along with the whole concept of an oasis. A place where people come to be refreshed. To be encouraged. To be lifted up. And Paul said, Philemon, that's you. I hear that when people get around you, that's exactly... They leave your presence... And man, they just, maybe the circumstances haven't changed, but they just feel better. You've somehow lifted their spirits. You've encouraged them. You've refreshed them in some way. And also, I want to point this out, a little technical here, but this word refresh here in verse 7 is actually a military term in the Greek language for an army at rest. And it meant that in the midst... Of a given opportunity, we are allowed to recover and rest, collecting strength. That's what the word meant. So in other words, it's picturing either an army or a soldier in battle that even in the midst of conflict, somebody sort of steps in, in their place for a moment so that they can take a step back, and even in the midst of what's going on, because it's still going to continue that they're able to sort of get a breath and collect themselves to go back in. That's what the word refresh means. Because we know life doesn't stop, ministry doesn't stop, So we all need those people in our lives that will refresh us. That even though things keep going, somehow they come into our lives and they encourage and refresh and strengthen and revive and get us to the point where we are willing to go back in and keep on going and doing what God's called us to do. That was Philemon. So notice something here. We haven't even got to anything as far as Paul's formal request yet, have we? And so Paul is also teaching us a lot here about how to deal with people. How to deal with relationships. How to ask even somebody that we know pretty well, a friend like Paul and Philemon were, to do something. Before he goes in asking, he makes sure that he takes time to tell Philemon how much he means to him. And how much his life has impacted others. And he's commending Philemon for all of this. Laying, in a sense, the groundwork for what he's going to ask. Because, remember, his request is based on Philemon's character. And he's simply laying out for there, for everyone, including obviously Philemon, I know this is who you are. So in keeping with knowing this is who you are, Here's what I want to ask. And we're not going to actually get to the formal request till next week. But this foundation is so full of so many good things. So verse 8. Although I have quite a lot of confidence in Christ and could command you to do what is proper, I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love. Wow. Here's a principle. Paul is saying, I have the authority. I could pull rank. I could have written this letter with a totally different tenor, a a totally different feel to it. I could have ordered you. I could have sort of approached this as this is your duty and obligation. But Paul said... In my understanding, I chose to appeal to you on the basis of love. I chose to appeal to your character rather than ordering you to do something or compelling you or pressuring you to do something. Because I would rather you do this because you want to. I would rather you do this out of your love for God and your love for me and your love for Onesimus, rather than feeling like I'm being pressured to do something that I really don't want to. There's a lot that Paul's saying here in this verse. By the way, the word appeal here in verse 9 and also the word appealing in verse 10 is the Greek word parakaleo which is that word that's also used interchangeably for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the one that comes alongside to help. Same word. It is a word that means one who comes alongside to, again, encourage and strengthen. So again, Paul's saying, I'm not coming to you sort of saying, you know, pointing the finger and saying, hey, buddy, you know, get with the program. This is what you should do. He's more picturing himself as coming along a friend, putting his arm around that friend and saying, hey, isn't that what Christ would want us to do? And man, you've done it all your life. This would be no different than the way you've lived your life. And that's the way Paul dealt with this. It's a great picture to us. And it reminds us, I think, of how important it is to God (laughs) that we become a people who instead of doing things out of pressure and obligation and duty and guilt, that we become a people who do the things we do and live the way we live out of love. That we do what we do because we want to. Not because we feel we have to. That we pray, that we read the Word, that we fellowship with other Christians, that we become an integral part of a local church, that on and on and on we go. Spend time, obviously, with God, personally. We do all these things out of our love for God. Not out of duty and obligation. Paul goes on to say, I'm an old man. And even now a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. In other words, again, I think one of the things Paul is reminding Philemon is, I'm not asking you to sacrifice or do something that I haven't been willing to do either, because it's all about Christ. It's not about me. It's not about you. And then Paul again says in verse 10, So I'm appealing to you concerning my child, my spiritual offspring, whose spiritual father I have become during my imprisonment. That is Onesimus. Onesimus came to faith in Christ while meeting Paul in prison. I want to make this comment. This is a great example to us that we don't have to have optimal conditions existing in our lives at any time for God to work in our lives or through our lives. Paul could have taken a pity party when he was thrown into prison and go, well, I guess God's done with me because why would, why would God allow me to go through this if he really loved me and had a purpose for my life, I guess I'm just going to sit over here in my prison cell in the corner and just sit, soak, and sour and feel sorry for myself. Again, going back up to verse 1, because Jesus Christ had captured his heart. Nothing else could capture him. While he was in prison, he was like, there must be somebody that God's going to bring along while I'm here in prison that I'm going to be able to minister to. And God, or Paul never saw being in prison as limiting his ministry. It was simply a different place of ministry. He never stopped ministering. He never stopped using the lack of optimal conditions to keep him from seeing how God could use his life. And neither should we. For instance, very practically, for many years, who knows how long until God opens it up, we may meet here at Basha High School. Not optimal. Hey, I'm thankful for it. A lot of churches that get planted and start up, man, they've got to tear down and set up every Sunday, and even though, especially people in our children's ministry and people in our sound ministry, they have to do a lot of that. We get to walk in, and there's those padded chairs in the auditorium, and I could go on and on. But, just like I heard about last Tuesday. You know, when the school has a function, obviously they get first dibs on their own space, and so we end up having to work around them many times. So again, not optimal. But it shouldn't stop us from thinking that, so, it's an obstacle. We can overcome it. And nothing that is thrown at us, if this is where God wants us to be for now, should ever discourage us or slow us down. Because if this is where God wants us for now, then God's going to use us to minister. And he's not going to let the lack of optimal circumstances that we may find ourselves in at times minimize that in any way. The other thing that I wanted to share is that, very interestingly, Onesimus' name means profitable or useful. Keep that in mind. Because we're going to close here with verse 11. And we'll pick it up in verse 12 next week. So Paul says, this Onesimus, whose name means profitable or useful, he's a play on words here, who was formerly useless to you, but is now useful to you and me. couple of powerful things. First of all, notice the word formally. Once in the past. In other words, Paul is reminding all of us of God's transforming grace. That when any human being, whether they be a runaway slave or whoever they are, including us at one time in our lives, When we are truly open to God's grace, God can change people's lives and transform people's lives. And Paul is attesting to that fact and reminding Philemon of that very thing. He's saying we should never forget or we should never discount how God can change people. In fact, One of the themes of this little book is relationships. And one of the things that Paul is teaching us here is that relationships always are changing because people are always changing. We never stay the same. As I've shared before and remind myself of, as a Christian, I'm either going forward and making progress and getting closer to Jesus Christ, or I'm going backwards. I'm regressing I'm walking further away from Christ. We're never stagnant. So because people don't ever stay the same, relationships don't ever stay the same. And one of the things that hopefully will encourage us rather than always discourage us is even in relationships where things might not be going well right now, Paul's reminding us of something here by using Philemon or Onesimus, excuse me, as an example. But God can always change people's hearts. And because God can always change people, then there's no limit to what that relationship could look like in the future. Because what it looks like now is not the last word. We've all had relationships like that. Where at one time, we might have had a relationship in our life that wasn't too good, but either God got a hold of us, or the other person, or both of us, and that relationship looks different now. And that's what Paul's saying to Philemon. Formally, the one who was by name profitable and useful wasn't very useful. By the way, that word useless in verse 11 means unmanageable. sort of picturing like a, a horse that's not broken, can't can't harness. Onesimus, before he came to Christ, was pretty unruly, pretty unmanageable, probably rejected authority, probably did everything he could to, you know, do the opposite of maybe what Philemon or others were asking. But when Christ came into his life, Not only did he change, but his perspective changed. And he even changed toward Paul. Because Paul said in verse 11, He's going to be now useful, acting in a more agreeable, pleasant manner to you because he's already been that way to me. He's a different person. And so Paul's going to go on here to say, Philemon, would you give him a second chance? And we are reminded then that God is a God of second chances. Onesimus maybe didn't start out very well. But he's going to end well. And his relationship with Philemon certainly wasn't good at one time. But now, oh, now because of Christ in his life, things are going to change. By the way, a couple more things. in the Roman Empire at this time in history, it is estimated that there was probably 60 million, 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire at this time. And some Christians even wonder as they read the New Testament, why doesn't people like Paul or, why doesn't the New Testament just come right out and go for the social reform of changing slavery. Because in God's mind, changing perspectives on things like having servants and slaves needs to come through changing people's hearts. And so just like in this case, we're going to see that Philemon's heart's going to start to change and Onesimus' heart is going to start to change. And that that's what's going to change the culture. The Roman Empire was going to be the Roman Empire. But Christians, especially living within the Roman Empire, could change things just by changing one heart at a time. Again, going back to that one-on-one ministry. And so as we close tonight, that's what I'd like all of us to focus on. There may be one person right now, or one person this week, or one person this month that God wants you to come alongside of, encourage, strengthen, minister, Make a difference in their life. Don't discount that. God doesn't change this world billions at a time. God's transforming grace changes this world and our church and our community one heart at a time. As my spiritual mentor reminded me of years ago, if each Christian would reach one, each one reach one, And that's why the Bible lays the responsibility on all of us as Christians getting out there and serving the Lord and ministering to one another and to even people that don't know Christ. Because the world can change. But it's going to change when each one of us takes that personal responsibility to just minister to the one in front of us at the moment the one that God has brought into our life. And that's what we see happening here. When Paul, while in prison, took a pen and wrote this very powerful appeal to a friend named Philemon. Come back next week and we'll see how this all ends. Let's pray. God, thank you for your transforming grace. It is only by your grace that we are changed. We have here in this letter a testimony of how Onesimus changed. We're going to see that Philemon's going to change as well. And Lord, all of us, have the potential to change for the good if we just allow you to come in and work in our lives. And God, I pray for all of us that we would grow and mature. That all of us at the Oasis would have a deepening understanding of what belongs to us in Jesus Christ. And that, Father, we would grow to be a people who refresh each other and refresh all those we come in contact with more and more. And God, just remind us again that even though there are billions of people on this planet now and the universe is so big, that you care about individuals and you care about us and you send people into our lives one at a time sometimes that makes the biggest difference in our life and so we should never discount the fact that there are times where you're going to send us into other people's lives one on one and use us to make a big difference in their lives as well. Help us to see God tonight. You are the God who cares about one. So God, go with us. Take us home and, Lord, may we stay in fellowship throughout the rest of this week and come back as a church on Sunday just cherishing the time that we can spend together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Cherishing the relationships that we have cherishing the blessing that we have by having each other in our lives and may our sunday be a very special sunday of worship we pray in jesus name amen hey before i let you